That's why we're here. That's why the church is here. And that's why this month, March, is missions month throughout the whole month. This morning, we have missionaries in our children's church. And we have a missionary and his family in our Spanish church. And tonight, we'll have two missionaries in this church. And I hope you will come and have a good time with us in the Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to be saved, isn't it? It's good to be here today to be able to tell other folk that they can be saved also. Take your Bible, if you would, to with me, please, and turn to the book of Mark, if you would, please. And we should be in Mark chapter 7, but because of the mission's emphasis, we're going to jump about 14 chapters or so, and we'll turn to Mark chapter number 16, if you would, please, for our message today. Be in prayer now, please, about our building permit tomorrow. And uh, I think the city will give it. We've had prints and changes. Had about 30 changes on the original prints. And they're in the back and they, they have them back. So the city council said because the building was so huge and large, I don't understand that, they had to have all the committees okay it. And besides that, they didn't like Brother Billy and Andrew, so now we've got to go through all this stuff together, all right? <laughs> but uh, uh, we'll, we'll start maybe next week. And, and uh, they say in um, nine months, 270 days, they'll be finished with the building. And uh, we'll dedicate it and fill it plumb full. Brother Jim has a, has a goal for the buses this month, isn't it, Jim? 300, 300 on buses in one day. How many of you would like to ride? (laughs) Me neither. All right. I'm glad, Brother Jim. Jim, you don't ride either. You're just having 300. Brother Dave, they're going to have 300 on buses. And so we'll have a good day that day. And I trust uh, that you'll uh, uh, be with us. We'd like to welcome all of you who've joined us by way of live stream and our radio around the world. We're in Mark chapter 16. And verse 15, I want to talk to you today about the foundations for a missions-minded church. The foundations for a missions-minded church. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, in reference to every member of the church in existence at that time, and there's only one in existence, the church that Jesus built. And he says to them in verse number 14, after he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat. Notice the 11, not 12, 11. Judas, he's hanging around out back somewhere. <laughs> after he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat, he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Upbraiding, scolding, or rebuking the eleven because of their lack of belief that he not only died, but he was buried and that he arose again. That's the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. Folks are always asking me, are you a full gospel preacher? I said, I hope so. But I'm not a gospel on a half preacher. Amen. Amen. 
the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And some were kind of doubting that. And he scolded them, upbraided them, rebuked them, and said unto them, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our Father today, if ever there was a message that our church needs, Lord, I know we have missionaries, and I know we support folks all over the world. But Lord, the job is not done. It is not finished. May we not get sidetracked with our church and our organizations and our committees and our meetings and our retreats and our camps. May we not get so filled with events that we forget the most important thing. And that is preaching the gospel in all the world. And I pray you remind us this month that missions is really the heart of God. We thank you today and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it hadn't been long since we had the Super Bowl. Now, it's been a long time since Dallas has been in the Super Bowl. It's not been long since Brother Jerry had the Super Bowl. But it has not been too long since we had the Super Bowl. Today, I want you to imagine with me. This is not original. If it was, I'd write it down. I want you to imagine with me that you and every one of you are a football reporter sitting on the sideline watching the game. Got four teams I want to talk to you about. Four teams. Team number one can be seen huddled together on the sideline before the game. Heads bowed in prayer and the coach is in the middle. Suddenly they gave a great cheer and the coach trots out on the field by himself. While the other players go and sit on the bench, now as you are watching the coach on the field, You go to the sideline and talk to a 300-pound lineman and says, What are you doing sitting on the bench? What's the coach doing out there all by himself? And uh, he says, Well, they pay the coach well enough. And we're all here to support him, of course. And look at the huge crowds that's come to watch him play. And look at the huge crowd. Of course, the opposing team kicks the ball. The coach grabs the ball, runs down the field, and is smothered with eight, with 11 tacklers. They get the coach up, put him on a stretcher, and carry him off to the locker, to the, uh, the locker room. That sounds kind of crazy to me. But then there's team number two. 
The team realizes that they're all players, so they're on the field in a huddle. They huddle and huddle and huddle and huddle some more. In fact, they're the huddledest team you've ever seen. Well, the referee calls a penalty because of delay of game and the ball moves back five yards, but the team still huddles and they huddle and they huddle some more. The quarterback yells back to the sidelines, hey, coach, this is the greatest huddle I've ever attended. What a group of guys. We have some wonderful fellowship in the huddle. But we love to huddle. But you holler back to the quarterback asking, but why don't you get up and go line up and play? He says, why should we? What we want is a bigger huddle. Besides, there's no way you can get hurt in a huddle. It's safe in the huddle. It's comfortable in the huddle. It makes us really feel good to huddle together. Team number three. Ain't we having fun? Somebody said, where did you get that? That's not in the Bible. Needs that pew you're sitting on. How's it feel? <laughs> team number three, this team begins with player on the field. Breaks out of the huddle. And just like a team's supposed to, however, instead of lining up against the opposing team, they break into groups of two and three. They believe in the small group ministry. Only they're arguing with one another. Pretty soon the fight breaks out between two of the players. Of course, they're not in a huddle. They're just fighting. One walks off the field and says, I'm quitting. And someone says, well, why are you quitting? He said, well, I can pass better than anybody on the team, and they won't let me play quarterback. I know this does not remind you of any churches you know of. Team number four, however, is on the way to the Super Bowl. They huddle, they play, they break, they line up, they play together. And they get touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And in the locker room, they are exhausted, bruised, and happy. Which team would you like for Joshua Baptist Church to be like? We'll be like one of those teams. We are like one of those teams. Amen. 
just a silly illustration. But this month, in Missions Month, it's all about missions. Usually when we think of missions, we think of the Great Commission where Jesus said, All powers given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy. We think about the Great Commission. But I want you to know that missions did not begin in Matthew 28. It began in the heart of God. Missions is all about what God wants done. The first heartbeat in the heart of deity was for you and I that we might be saved. You say, well, we were not lost in eternity, but God saw us in eternity lost. And before Adam ever walked the streets of the Garden of Eden, Jesus was on his way to heaven, way to earth. Before you and I ever breathed a breath, Christ had died for us. And I believe that missions is the heart of God. Our church should be mission-minded. We should be able to give that others may go. The gospel is our message. And I think God is sufficient to save everyone on the earth. Someone says, well, what if everyone is not saved? They will not be saved if we don't give them a chance. And I believe that Jesus wants us to preach the gospel around the world, then the world must be lost. And if he wants us to preach the gospel to all the world, there's no one on the earth that cannot be saved. I believe that the gospel is sufficient and I believe we need to get on with it. And let me give you some fundamentals fundamentals uh, of the mission-minded church, the foundation on which this church is built. I started the church some 27 years ago and I was thinking as Brian was singing and Everybody comes in line and does everything like they're supposed to and everything falls in order all because of this lovely, gracious song man, Brother Pickett. Amen. Amen. And I think about that storefront we were in before you came. We had a real song leader. <laughs> we had a real special singer. He's forgot all about that. We were lacking with preaching, but boy, we had lovely song service. I led it. I sang it. I tell you, all my old soundtracks was scratchy and they just sounded terrible. And, and I looked at everything going, I said, boy, we've come a long way, baby. Now, let me help you. We do not want to change. We do not want to change to fit the society. We do not want to change to fit the customer. We do not want to change to get a crowd. We do not want to change. What we need to do is change the crowd. Don't let the crowd change us. And there are some foundational stones on which this church has been built for these 27 years. Can I give them to you? First of all, the foundation of a compassionate God. God loves you. And you look in the mirror and say, no one loves me. I want to tell you today, God loves you. And this church, 
and missions is built upon the fact that God is a compassionate God. He is not standing over your head with a celestial nightstick fixing to knock your brains out the first time you do something wrong. God loves you. God wants to save you. God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. God wants to see you as a missionary around the world. It might be at home. It might be at the job. It might be down at the market, but wherever it is, God has called each of us to be a missionary wherever we are. Notice if you would, please, you know the verse. Can you say it with me? John three sixteen. God is a compassionate God. Does anybody know that verse? John three sixteen. Why, Tim Tebow knows it because it's written all over his face. John three sixteen. Can we say it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a compassionate God. God is a loving God. There's people around the world that does not know that God loves them. There are people in the crevices of this old world. Today, this this TV broadcast is going out all over the world into the darkest places on this earth. They are listening to this message. And I'd like to say to all, God loves you. Regardless of what color your skin, regardless of what uh, economic level you might be, you may only have a radio or a TV, but I want you to know God loves you. The Bible talks about the love of God. God is a compassionate God. The description of his love is found in John 3.16. Notice, if you would, God is an infinite everlasting, loving God. God don't love you when you're good because there's none good. There's none that doeth good. There's none that pleases God. God loves us when we are bad. He don't want us to be bad, but he loves us anyhow. It is a love that is absolutely, it is infinite. It is everlasting. Jeremiah said the love, the Lord, uh, the Lord uh, saves and he loves us with an everlasting love. I don't know. I don't understand that. People join our church. They love me for a week and the next week they hate me. I don't understand that they come in. <laughs> we got one that hates me already. And, uh, and they're even here today, right? But folk come in and they, they say, Preacher, we are looking for an old-fashioned Bible-preaching church. We're looking for a, a church that believes in soul winning. We're looking for a church that believes in separation. We're, we, we, and Preacher, we just love you and the church. I preach on tithe and they get madder than the devil. Amen. Then they don't love me no more. You have that problem? When you were young, did you ever tell that little old girl and the cheerleader, oh, I love you? <laughs> Next week, there's another cheerleader, oh, I love you. And you just love, 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 and it changes and it falls out and falls out. Well, I used to love her, but don't love her no more. I'm going to get a divorce. Go get me an oven, just like a pair of shoes. Try them on. If it don't fit, I'll go get me an oven. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, it's a wonder that anybody in America can understand love. Because the television and the devil has so 
misuse that word love. Huh? You know, I married my wife and didn't even love her. We've been married for all these years. Now she's fallen out of love with me. She don't love me. I don't understand that. I love you, love you, love you. Kind of hard to comprehend that anybody could love us and never fall out of love with us. And never fall out of love with us. And see us how we treat him and never fall out of love with us. How we neglect him. How we take him for granted. How we act like he owes us something. If we come to church and he just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on loving us. Jeremiah said he loves us with an everlasting love. When we're bad, he loves us. When we're sad, he loves us. And even when we don't love him, he loves us. A compassionate, infinite, loving God. My daddy never told me he loved me until I was over 40 years old. And if you'd have known me, you'd have said I didn't blame him. Never said, I love you. Where we were raised and how we were raised, men did not express emotions to boys or other men. And I never heard my daddy say he loved me until I was 40-some years old. I knew he loved me because he proved it and he kept giving. But he just didn't know how to say, son, I love you. Didn't know how to say, that's a good job, Gene. Didn't know how to say that. And when I was 26, somebody walked in my living room and opened a soul winner's New Testament and said, but God commended his love toward you and that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And that night, I had a heavenly father that loved me and loved me and loved me. And still today, he loves me. There's not a person on the face of the earth that does not need to know that somebody loves them. And what a message we have for a world. It's wrapped up in every kind of religion and idolatry and philosophy of life. And they cannot find that person that loves them. We have a message. Our message is that this world, God loves you. It is an infinite, it is an incomprehensible You think about this. The love of Christ which passeth knowledge. The love of Christ that passeth knowledge. Ephesians 3 and 19. No one can explain the love of God. 
No one can comprehend the love of God. No one can explain the love of God. It's something you have to experience. Is there anybody here now? Well, preacher, how do you know you're saved? Man, I feel saved. You say you feel saved all the time? Sure, I feel saved all the time. Act like it? No, but I feel like it. You don't feel saved. You need to come to the altar. You say, but being saved is a fact. I know, but the fact produces a feeling. And if you ain't got the feeling, maybe you ain't got the fact. And if you can't tell me why you are, you certainly don't know the facts. But I'll tell you something. The love of God is unexplainable, but it is real. You asked me how I know he's real. He lives. Yes, he does. He lives within my heart. What a message. What a message for this world. What a message for the folk just across the street of your house. What a message to loved ones. What a message for the boss and the laborers that work with you. What a message. Amen. This world dying and going to hell in a handbasket. Everybody's fighting. Divorce courts are filled. And mortuaries are doing a great business while we have the greatest message in the world. And we're being silent about it. We're huddled every Sunday in our huddle. We love our huddle. We have fellowship in our huddle. We like being in our huddle. Hey, it's time to get out of the huddle. Get on the field and do what Jesus said. Go preach the gospel to every preacher. You said, but preacher, I'm comfortable in the huddle. You won't be long. For God so loved the white. His love is inexhaustible. It's good for everybody. For God so loved the world that he, what? It's expressive. He gave. God promised the Savior in Genesis 3.15. Talked about the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy of Jesus in the old Bible. Genesis 3.15. And the Bible said, God looked at the woman and said, His seed, your seed shall bruise his head. His seed shall bruise your heel. And the Bible said, now listen, Galatians 4 and 14. Now listen. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, listen, made of a woman under the law. Wonder why everybody else in the Bible was the seed of the man. But not Jesus. There's just something unusual about him. Born of a virgin. Seated the woman. Oh yes. They bruised our Lord. Did they not? But our Lord bruised the head of the devil at the cross. When he looked up and said it's finished. The devil lost the battle that day. 
What a message. What a message. A message about a compassionate God. Think about this now. It's not only a message about a compassionate God. It's a compelling message. I read for you Romans chapter 1. I read for you because I want you to, I want you to hear this. The gospel is a compelling message. The apostle Paul is speaking. And he said in Romans 1 and verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. Both to the wise and the unwise. So... As much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are wrong. Now notice this, a compelling message. Paul had no choice. It compelled Paul out of Judaism to get saved and spread the gospel around the world. And you and I are here today, saved, preaching the Bible, loving the word, listening to the songs, worshiping and having a good time. You and I are here today because of the apostle Paul. And he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. God help a person who's saved that is ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is a compelling message. It compelled the apostle Paul to go and evangelize the Mediterranean sea coast. And the testimony of his enemies said he turned the world upside down for Christ preaching the gospel. Our message Our God, Christ and his sacrifice should compel us to tell everybody we knew about the good news. I shall never forget. And uh, sometimes I might tell you this and I might have told you this before. But if I have, I need to tell you again because I can see it in your eyes. We have a member. I'll not call his name, but it starts with Clark. He was in the hospital. I think he stays in the hospital. He's in the hospital this morning. But he went to the hospital and I saw him years and years ago. I said, Roger, would you please witness to your doctor before the surgery? He told me, yes, sir, preacher. I promise you I will witness to the doctor before he operates. I went to see him the day before the surgery. I said, Roger, have you asked the doctor yet? About being saved. He said, no, but I will. I said, you lying sucker. You won't either. You're a big chicken. You won't do it. You're ashamed of Jesus. Next day I went to see him. And we prayed before he went into surgery. And I said, all right, Roger, tell me. Have you witnessed to the doctor before you go into surgery? He said, no, sir, but I'm going to. I said, Roger, you're about to go into surgery. He said, I promise you, preacher, I will witness, I will ask the doctor about salvation before he operates on me. I said, you won't either. And he pulled his robe back and he had one of our tracks that says, do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven, taped to his belly. If 
I'm lying, I'm dying. You can ask him when he gets back out of this hospital state. But he had one of our tracks. And it says, if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Roger had it taped to his belly. I said, Roger, don't shake him up, man, before he starts cutting. <laughs> I went back to Roger's room after the surgery and hanging on Roger's bedstead was the track. And the doctor wrote on it, I get the message. Amen. It's a compelling message. Amen. If you've got it, you can't keep it to yourself. If you have it, it's the greatest thing you'll ever get. It's better than any Christmas present you've ever told anybody how loving it is. It is the message of a compassionate God who sent his only son as the first missionary. I don't know what went on in heaven before he left. But I know yonder in Bethlehem's manger... That the God of glory placed his son on the golden staircase of eternity. And Jesus Christ walked down those staircases and got off at a manger in Bethlehem as a little child. And he became flesh. That we might behold his glory full of grace and full of truth. It's a compelling message. You just got to say something about it. Amen. I mean, little boy. Somebody says, preacher, I enjoy the huddle. I don't. Amen. Let's be stinky in that huddle. Amen. Them guys got B.O. in the huddle. I don't want to stay in the huddle. Amen. You know, I, I just want our church to huddle up together and forget that the foundation stone of this church Number one is we have a compassionate God. Number two, we have a compelling message. Please listen now. I close. We have a commissioned people. Jesus said, go ye. Are you a ye? Are we a ye? Don't you think then maybe we ought to get going? Amen. The person you work with, the fellow who brings your UPS message, the boss, the kids, the wife, the father, the mother. Don't you think Since we're commissioned people, we ought to go into the whole world. I cannot go to the whole world. Tonight we'll have missionaries. They're going someplace in the world. Tonight, I think Brother Josh has fixed us a PowerPoint. Brother Jim was watching. He came to my office. He said, Preacher, we send missionaries just about to every part of the world. We support them monthly. We support them regularly. We support them faithfully. If you can't go, would you have somebody else go? Would you be instrumental in somebody else being saved? 
That $100 you put in a missionary's life, he may use that to walk into a grass hut or to a high-rise building and tell somebody we have a compassionate God. Amen. 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 A compassionate God. We have a compelling message. We have a commissioned people. I close with this. The gospel's only limitations you'll find in Romans 10, verse 14. The gospel cannot save until it's believed. You cannot believe until you have heard. Verse 14 of Romans 10. And you cannot hear without a preacher. They must be sent. And we must do the sending. I wrote this down. I wish it was mine. I forgot it, but it is mine. Who be ye? Ye be me. Ye be thee. Ye be we. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. For all the visitors that are here today for the very first time, if you go to the bookstore with your registration, we give you a book. I think of all the books I've ever read, it's not as deep as some of the books I've ever read. It's not as boring as some of the books I've ever read. But I think the number one book that I ever read was the book we'll be giving all the visitors for the first time if you visited today. The title of the book is Done. That's all it, Done. In that book, Brother Smith says, the religions of the world, whether they be Hindu, whether they be Muslim, whether they be Buddhist, whether they be Catholic, whether they be Baptist, Pentecostal or Joel Osteen. All religions, all religions can be confined to two groups. And they are defined as doing and done. Well, I got to do this to be saved. I got to do this. I got to, I got to do the. The, the five things that I need to be saved. Catholicism. Five sacraments. Buddhism. Eightfold path of salvation. Hinduism. Fourfold path to salvation. Doing, doing, doing. I got to do. I got to do. I got to do. We says. We say. It's already done. Amen. We believe. That Christ did it all. We believe that for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it's finished. 
done. Done. Which religion do you fall under? Doing, 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 or done? We have a message we can tell the whole world. Jesus has done it all. It's finished. Come to him by faith. It's done. By the way, is it done in your life? Or you have got to do, or got to be, or got to give, or got to, got to, got to? Our message is, he paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow.